Well, here's the thing about, so, okay, a, a quick, we're walking through Corinthians. We've been out of Corinthians for, we're in, as you know, 14 now. It's toward the end of the book. We have a couple chapters left, 3, 14, 15, 16. So we've been in Corinthians for almost six months, I think, and we've taken a couple weeks out of it to preach things that relate to uh, love. 1 Corinthians 13 was the last thing that we preached in Corinthians, and it's all on, it's, it's Paul's encomium to, I was going to say love, but to Christ, who is love. Um, it's his encomium to love, and he stops, he starts on preaching on the gifts that, that Christ has died for, that he gives us by his Holy Spirit in chapter 12, and then he just pauses for a whole chapter, chapter 13, and he says, hey, there's a better way. You, you could practice the gifts in power and be lost as a goose. If you aren't loving, you don't know Jesus. They're all to be held together by love. The gifts are so we can love each other and love the world. That's what this, I could be done with my sermon after that. Literally, this passage is about the gifts are not for you. They're for others, for the believer to build them up and for the unbeliever to see them come to Christ. That's what the gifts are for. So Paul just takes a break and says, love, love, love. Without love, nothing else matters. And then he comes back here to the gifts, mainly to prophecy, but to prophecy in tongues. And here's the thing, it's so startling about the way Paul approaches the gifts. The Corinthian church is an extremely gifted, can I use that word? They're an extremely gifted church. They operate in a lot of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tons of tongues, apparently. There's some prophecy. There are some miraculous giftings, some miracles, healings, all sorts of stuff. Um, And instead of, when we see that in the church, there wasn't a lot of love there was backbiting, there was gossip, they were clawing at each other, seeking to be number one, self-promoting, all these sorts of things that aren't godly at all. What we see in the church is when that kind of thing happens, my tendency, let me just say this, would be to shut things down and just say, hang on, just stop practicing the gifts and learn how to love. That's not what Paul does. In fact, uh, his approach is really shocking. He doesn't say, take a break, cool it. Rather, he comes right out of the gate after his love encomium in verse 1 of this passage that Nathaniel just read. And he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So this is not, if you'll notice, this is not a suggestion. He doesn't say, let me suggest something. I think you should go hard after the gifts. It's not what he, he, through God, is, is giving them a divine command. Seek after the gifts earnestly, especially run after prophecy. Um, and it's not just here. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, to the church in um, Thessalonica, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is great advice. Great. These are commands, right? These are not advice, advices. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger says that once in a video. That's why I said that. I give bad advices. Sorry. He's not giving advices. He's giving commands. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then verse 19, do not quench the spirit. How guilty have I been of that in my Christian life? And then finally, do not despise prophecies. Wow. Sam Storms asked this question, is it okay to pursue prophecy? He responds, not only is it okay, it's mandatory. Storms continues in reference to 1 Corinthians 14, 1, this verse I just read. This is a truly astounding statement. Paul was not merely suggesting that prophecy was a good gift. He was commanding that we earnestly desire to exercise this gift in the local body. This is not an option. The point is this. 
If you are not earnestly desiring to prophesy, if you are not praying for opportunity and occasion to speak prophetically into the lives of the church and other believers, you're disobeying God. Just let that sink in. The pursuit of prophecy is a moral and spiritual obligation to which we must devote ourselves. Why is Paul so adamant about our pressing into the gifts? Doesn't he need to take a chill pill and just relax a little bit? Well, imagine a guy that's been working for three years really hard, let's say 14 plus hours a day, to support himself, but also to set, and he's been living in austerity, as it were, very strictly, with a lot of discipline, to set aside every spare dollar so that he can buy his wife-to-be, his uh, girlfriend that's going to become his fiance, a, just a big diamond ring, just two-carat clear, whatever you ladies imagine that's just like the best. I don't know. Two-carat clear, you all, all have different ideas. It costs a ton of money, but it's worth every penny to him, and he buys it for her, and she says yes, and she's overwhelmed, but then she sets it aside, never wears it. What an insult. How sad. It's an expression of his love and it's not being used. There's a sense in which his work has gone to waste. Well, that's a silly example, but of a reality that Jesus died to give us. This is what Paul is saying elsewhere, especially in Ephesians 4, which we'll go to now. Jesus died. He laid his life down, his soul, to to equip his church, his people, his body with gifts that his Holy Spirit delivers. He went all the way down through death into hell, Philippians 2, into the lowest place, okay? And then from that, because hell, he burst the gates of hell, paying the price for your sins and mine, and he burst through the ground, came up out of death, and is alive forevermore, and kept going after his resurrection, and he's now seated at the throne of the universe, at the nerve center, the control center of all things. And what did he do from there? Paul says he gave from there, he gave gifts to men. Ephesians 4, 12 through 14a, why did he give gifts to men? Giving us apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and shepherds to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's you. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here it is, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Christ died and suffered the ultimate thing and now reigns and has just lavished his church with gifts. So not to use these gifts is a slap to him, uh, but also these gifts, they're to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I'm, that's my job, is to equip you to use your gifts, to walk in love, um, but also the gifts play a part in moving us to what Christ died for. Not just to get saved. We we often talk about we get saved. We think that's the end. But to get to a place where the fullness of Christ is manifest in you, to where you are no longer a child, but you've reached mature manhood in Christ. The gifts are part of that, Paul says. Romans 12, 6, he says, having gifts, it's a simple command. Let us use them. Let us use them. So here he talks about prophecy in particular, so we're going to hone in on that for the next few minutes. Paul doesn't argue. Here's what I want to leave you with. Start with and end with. He doesn't argue we should be open to the prophetic gifting, nor does he suggest that we pursue it. He commands it with divine command, with divine authority as an apostle. For the sake of believer and for the sake, he commands that we, we pursue prophecy 
and we use prophecy, we operate in it for the sake of the believer, the body, and the unbeliever who comes into our midst, in our lives, in our homes, here, at our businesses, wherever we find ourselves. To do anything less is to disobey God. So let's, let's look at that um, now for a few minutes. This week, I'm talking more about the what and the why. What is prophecy? A little bit on what is tongues, but he, doesn't foc- he only kind of focuses on, focuses on tongues to say it's actually more beneficial. You should pursue both, but the, the gifts are to benefit the body, and prophecy benefits the body a lot more. Um, tongues does as well, but you need an interpreter so everyone can benefit, and if you don't have an interpreter, do it at home, that kind of thing. So he majors on prophecy, so that's what I'm going to do this morning. It's kind of the what. What is prophecy? What is Paul talking about here? And, and the why. Why is Paul pushing it so much? As I've already talked some about. Next week, more of the how. Like, how do we do this as, a, as Christ's body on earth? Here, in our smaller expressions of the church's family, where we know each other, where we're a family, but we're a family on mission, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our lives. So that's next week, how. So if you don't get a lot of how this week, that's because he doesn't talk about it much here, okay? So three points this morning on prophecy and tongues. What are they, number one? What are they for? And how should we approach them? Okay, what are they? What are they for and how should we approach them? So first, what are they? In short, they are revelation from God. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand. I'm gonna expand. What is prophecy? Wayne Grudem has a book on it. It's in the back. We have a resource table That'll change as we go through different series. That's on 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the part of Corinthians we're in now. That's on the gifts. That's some equipping for you guys back there. One of the books is, by, is this book I'm about to quote, chapter three by Wayne Grudem on prophecy. The heading of the chapter is New Testament Prophets at Corinth, speaking merely human words. Okay, get that. Speaking merely human words. Paul's not talking about a thus saith the Lord. Okay, speaking merely human words to report something that God brings to mind. Okay, let me, let me expand on that. The ESV Study Bible has a great comment. Um, it says that the prophecy is generally used by Paul to mean, and I think this is certainly true here, speech that reports something that God spontaneously brings to mind or reveals to the speaker. But, get this, which is spoken in merely human words, not words of God. Therefore, it can have mistakes and must be tested and or evaluated, and that's where the body comes in. We are to test, we are to weigh, we are to interpret, we are to evaluate with what is our rule, with what is our standard, the written word of God. We know this is the breath of God, the infallible, the inerrant, the living word of God. We take, we take what we feel like God is revealing to us to the body and always back to the word, okay? So I can sit down now, that's essentially it, all right? <laughs> I'm not gonna sit down, okay? Aren't you sorry? Um, and he goes on to talk about this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. I just read, we ought not to reject prophecy, but to test it, to evaluate it. To reject it and to say it's not around anymore. I'm, friends, I'm just going to say it. There's a big, I have brothers and sisters in Christ who, who have rejected this understanding of prophecy for today. I love them. They love Jesus. But I do believe it is to quench the spirit and to grieve the spirit. What Paul says, do not do. I do believe it. And I do believe, I, I Time will tell. But I believe that the age of believing that this sort of revelation from God is not for, to be taken, measured by the body up against Scripture, is not for the church today. I believe it's dying away. I believe that's dying away. I pray, I pray it does. Um, one commentary 
says, it's a word from the Lord through a member of his body, inspired by his spirit and given to build up the rest of the body. Such, is, such a ministry is available to every Christian as the Holy Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. So the Lord decides who gets the gifts, right? But we are called still to pursue them. That doesn't mean just because you don't have one, you shouldn't pray for it. In fact, the opposite. Paul says, pray for it, ask for it, seek it. And if you have it, practice it. What am I doing here? I have a gift of teaching from the Lord. Am I just supposed to think that it's gonna be perfect just right out of the gate? Of course not. Like I'm hopefully growing at week to week as I practice and you are patient with me. That's how we ought to be with one another. You encourage me, you're patient with me. If I say something that's off scripture, you should come talk to me about it. If it's severe enough, it ought to be brought before the elders. That's how, that's how the gifts work. That's how the gifts work. Um, the gift is therefore for all Christians earnestly to desire whether or not the Lord chooses to distribute it to all. Then finally, Gordon Fee, I'm kind of going from the smallest definition to the most robust. Gordon Fee, another commentator, he says, Paul does not say if all the prophets prophesy, but if everyone prophesies, the unbeliever will be convicted by all. See verse 24, see also verse five. Both the nature and language, this is Fee still, of this argumentation seems to exclude the option that this gift was limited to a group of authoritative people who were known in the community as, quote, the prophets. Again, as with tongues, it probably does not mean that Paul actually expects everyone to prophesy. It does imply the extensive involvement of the whole community in worship, especially in the manifestation of the gifts of inspired utterance. And I should just say here, and I'll probably return to this briefly in the middle of the sermon, but I do, but there, traditionally there have been as a shorthand for understanding sort of the full breadth of what prophecy can mean in the Bible. There's foretelling, telling about something that we wouldn't otherwise know and possibly that has to do with the future, not always, but it could be an insight into someone's heart or life, um, always for edification, possibly for conviction, especially in the case of the unbeliever, but also in the case of the believer. Um, so foretelling, but then there's forthtelling. So that's kind of the shorthand. There's foretelling prophecy, but also there's forthtelling. You're proclaiming the excellencies of God through his word. And let me just say this. I think Paul's mainly, if not completely, talking about the foretelling aspect in this chapter, but elsewhere it talks about prophecy as you're prophesying the very truth of God through his scriptures to someone, and that truth is applying, Holy Spirit's applying it to their hearts. Now, a lot of times, these two, there's not like a neat line. Like, we've experienced, I've experienced a lot of what I would kind of cast as the foretelling, God's revealing, but then I'm, it's coming through me or someone else, and then we're evaluating and taking it back to the Word. But oftentimes, it's, it involves the, the Word of God written, the Scriptures, or it kind of comes back to that, or the Word of God makes sense of it. It's like, that's exactly what you were preaching earlier, and I'll come back to that. So oftentimes, there's a, there's a mix, like a Venn diagram, okay? There's a mix. What it's not, what it's not, Old Testament prophecy that was inscripturated. We're not playing that game. There's, thus saith the Lord is out. We're not doing that. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about evaluating, evaluating, testing, testing. Again, God's words through you, though. He's not fallible. You are. The Old Testament prophets, it was God's word through a fallible human, infallibly spoken and written down. Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay? We take it to those prophetic words. We evaluate in community as Christ's body. We measure it against the inerrant written word, the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments or covenants. Um, with Old Testament prophecy, we have a scripture um, that was the word of man and, and not of God, and of God, excuse me, wow. 
It was the word of God and of man, 100% in both cases, okay? Um, like I just said, with Christian prophecy today, that's not the case. Um, God's revelation, whether through an impression or a picture or words or a sensation, um, but also man's words, all right? We must evaluate, we must compare to the perfect word written down and take these things back to it, the Bible, okay? In other words, what am I saying? We must offer prophecy up. I feel like God is telling me something for this community or for you. We must offer it up humbly. Offer it up. It's an offering, and, and I trust the body, and I, and I want to be, and, I, and I'm offering it up to be evaluated and to take it back to God's word. Not thus saith the Lord, and if you disobey it, man, you're going against God. That's why that sort of abuse of prophecy today for the church, which I truly believe is what Paul is talking about here, is why when someone comes to the pastor or to the elders in a church and says um, something like what I just said, this is from the Lord, and if you disobey it, uh, you're going against the Lord, that kind of abuse is why people shut down the gifts and shut down prophecy and say, you know what, we're just going to stick with the Bible here. God doesn't speak in this way anymore, okay? So we're not, we're not going to do that. Um, but, but we will want to obey God's divine command through Paul to pursue prophecy. But how do we do it? We're going to have to do it carefully together and with humility. Okay, what is tongues, briefly? What it's not, I'm just going to start out with what it's not. It's not a litmus test for the Christian or for the, higher, for the higher life. It's not a measure of Christian maturity. And it's not for everyone, although we should be seeking it, as Paul says. But I think John Piper, for instance, is one famous example of a guy who, at least for a while, I don't know if this is still the case, pr- prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed in obedience to this passage for tongues, for the gift of tongues, a prayer, whether a prayer language or in the gathering to be, evalu- to be interpreted. Never got it. And he, I, think he, I think I could be misquoting him here, but I feel like he said something like, you know what, the Lord just said to me, I've given you enough, stop asking. Or, you know, that's, so he, he's a very gifted person. Uh, he, has a lot, he operates in a lot of gifts, and God just decided not for you. Does that make him less of a Christian? Absolutely not. Should he have pursued it? Yes. Um, tongues in for everybody. But Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all, but actually I wish that you all prophesied even more. See? So um, it's not a measure of Christian maturity. Not everyone's going to do it. We should all seek to. We should all ask for it. You have not because you ask not. I'm going to talk about what tongues is in a bit. Don't worry. Love is. Tongues isn't the, the measure of maturity. Love is. Paul's reminded us of that, and he continues to remind us of that. Pursue love. Pursue love. Um, the, the fruit of the Spirit is a measure of Christian maturity, not your gifting. Okay? Um, so the, the old Pentecostalism kind of, I mentioned that because the old Pentecostalism will, would say, Typically, if you're, if you're not speaking in tongues, there's something wrong with you as a Christian. That we don't, we don't, we're not doing that. We're not playing that way. I don't think that's scriptural, okay? Um, it is a language from God, I do believe. A question, are the tongues Paul speaks of here a divine or a human language? I think, and this is something I'm much less sure about, I think he's speaking about a divine language. It's not a human language. It's simply, like if, I'm, if the Spirit comes on me and I speak in tongues, but it's uh, uh, Swahili. I don't know Swahili, but the Lord does, and he's using it to speak to somebody else, or we need an interpreter all of a sudden. That's a human language, but that I don't know. I think there's evidence, there is evidence for that in the scriptures, of that being a type of tongue. I do believe here that it's a divine language. Um, verse 2, not to men, but to God, and quote, mysteries in the spirit. Also verses 9, 14, 18, and 19. But then verses 10, 11, and 21 are sort of, I'm not sure. So, um, but why not, why not both here? Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, um, there's a, 
clear example of tongues being a human, human language is those people had no way of knowing. That's what? Acts 2 in Pentecost when the Spirit came down. So, but I think, I think here he's speaking about sort of a divine language, a prayer language. Your, your mind is not working in the same way, but your spirit is communing with the Lord. And he says if you do it in the body, uh, do it so that make sure there's an interpreter because otherwise it's just not benefiting anybody. And someone's going to walk in. This is the end of the passage where he's like, someone's going to walk in that doesn't know the Lord and going to be like, what's that babbler talking about? And they're going to be offended. Instead of coming to Christ, they're going to flee. Okay, so he says that's not what the gifts are for. Um, and two, before we get to what are they for, point two, um, just briefly on tongues, God is the word. John 1, elsewhere, he is the word. And Jesus is the word made flesh. Um, when he made us, what did he do right away in Genesis 1 and 2? When he made us, in Genesis 2 in particular, he gave us light. He breathed his breath into us. And then did it take a long time for man to like create an alphabet and start speaking? Not at all. Made in God's image, God gave word. He gave language to man immediately. That was a mark of creation. And that was a mark that separated him from all the rest of creation, from the beasts, that we had language. As opposed to Darwinism, by the way, which kind of says we started in a prebiotic slime and eventually we're just getting better and better and more and more sophisticated. The biblical picture is not that at all. It's almost the opposite. God made us perfect, fully intelligent. Adam was able to, he gives, even in that brief chapter, chapter two of Genesis, a bunch of instances of a window into his brilliance, his communion with God, and of his language skills. He names, he, he understands the character of, and therefore names all the beasts that God has created, and then he realizes there's not one that's, that, that uh, is made for him, woman. And so God makes woman and brings woman to him. He immediately in Genesis 2, when he sees the woman, he breaks out into this amazing poetic refrain that in, the Engli- in a good English translation, and certainly in the Hebrew, is quite beautiful. Poetry, day one. Um, and so God is word, and one of his stamps of the divine impress on humanity is language. Is language, is words. And um, so it makes sense that in Christ, okay, we fell. The Bible tells us that we, in Adam and Eve, in their disobedience, breaking God's command, they fell, and we represented in them also are born fallen and opposed to God. We're dead, Ephesians tells us. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. When Christ came to make us alive again and to bring us back to God, it's a recreation. It's a new creation. Doesn't it make sense that he would give us language again through the Holy Spirit? It's a stamp of a recreating event. Am I saying that you need tongues to be a Christian? Absolutely not. I, don't, I, I believe the opposite is true. I, I don't believe Paul ever says that you have to have it to be a believer or it's a mark of a higher life. But should we pursue it? Yes. Okay. So that's that. Um, what are they for? In short, they're for the body, not for you. Your gifts are not for you primarily. They're for the body. They're for the body, okay? Um, put it this way. The edification of believer and the conviction, they're for the edification of the believer and for the conviction of the unbeliever. Um, in sum, prophecy spotlights Christ. It edifies his body and it wins people to him. Okay, so let's talk briefly just about the edification of the believer. Um, examples of, of this sort of thing uh, so let me just give you maybe one example of this sort of thing that was given to us, to me, to Paul. I know to Justin separately, but Paul and I just happened in a, we went to this convergence conference that was all about actually this chapter. How as a church do we walk in 
the gift of prophecy in obedience to God's word through Paul here. And Paul, we were all prayed over separately, and Paul and I just happened to kind of be funneled like cattle through a gate, you know? We kind of happened to be funneled in God's providence together. They didn't know we were part of the same church or anything, but we sat down together. Sam Storms is kind of the guy that headed this up. It was at his church, and his wife happened to be one of the three, and an elder, and then his daughter were the three people praying over us. And just some really encouraging things were said, and there were, they were all encouraging, and some of them, they just couldn't have known uh, without the Lord telling him, but at the same time, they were like, I feel like I'm getting this from the Lord, but let me just offer it up. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I keep hearing the word. About 20 minutes in, Ann Storms, Sam's wife, said, I keep getting the word Muslim. Does that mean anything to you? And for those of you that know me, you know, like, yes, absolutely. I started laughing. Like, man, she had no idea that I have a heart for Muslims, that this area just south of us is the highest concentration of Arabs in the city. And so, um, and, and, yeah, that a lot of us here have that heart and feel like God is going to be moving us in that direction at some point and are already there in some ways too. So that was just one short example of how it, that edified me and it encouraged me. And another thing she said uh, to us is that you have vision that you've sort of tried to cast and that is in you still that hasn't been sort of grabbed hold of, but it's coming. Like, and so that was just an encouraging word. Like, God knows your heart, you know, and he knows... Um, the people that you love, and he knows exactly where he's placed you, and he's just stamping that. And so that was, and, and Paul had words that were encouraging to him as well um, about their future church plant and other things. So, so that's just one example. Um, last night, uh, last, uh, excuse me, Sunday night, so we have a parish uh, family that meets in our home on Sunday nights. If you live close to here, south of here, if you live close to here, Huguenard's Parish, if you live south, a little bit south of here, come and, come and join us. We do it geographically so we can reach our neighbors better and share life better. Um, but last night in our home, there was just, we just, and I'll, I'll finish with this by way of some application, but we just give, are give, starting to give some time and some space for asking God to speak. So we pray to him and then to be quiet and to listen and to say, Lord, would you speak? Would you reveal? Help us. What do you want to say to us? Do you have something for any person here? And there were just some things that were spoken that honestly a lot of them pointed back to the word that had been preached that morning, uh, a lot of them pointed back to scriptures and to things that God's put on our hearts for this church and what he's doing even now. So one example, I'll give you one, was um, Cody actually, I hope you don't mind me calling him out, sorry bro if you do, um, but he came in and he, you know he's usually over with James, taking care of James, but he came in, he's like, oh are you guys doing the, the listening prophecy time? Because I just, as soon as you started praying, I just got a word, I just got this red rover, is what he said, this sort of image and this, these words red rover in my head. And so... That was, we were like, huh, okay. So we started to kind of press into that and, and try to interpret that. And it just, there were, there's a lot there, I think. Um, but one of the things is that Red Rover, he's like, man, you're, we're all, whole, I saw this picture of us all holding hands. The whole, our parish family, the whole church family. And it's like, um, you know, you always go for the weak, to try to break through the weakest link in Red Rover. That's how you win. And so we're all holding hands together and we're in this together. And one of the things that we realized too is that the times that we're actually in a circle, there are only, there's only one time I can think of where we're, we're in a circle. And that's when we're praying. That's when we're praying. And so we're in God's word, we're praying, we're praying God's word, we're listening. And like that's the times that he grows us deep with him and that he grows us and adds to our number is when we get on our knees and we circle up, whether it's here on a Sunday evening or in our homes and pray. And so I feel like he was saying a lot through that. And then he, he spoke fire 
and peace as well. And those were just, we took those and really they just made so much sense to us and really ministered to people and to our whole community. Um, and so, and let me just share one more example and then I'm gonna go to the conviction of the unbeliever. But so if I may, Austin's not in here so I can definitely do it because he doesn't, he won't know until later when he listens to it. Um, but he was, so his parish was doing the same thing a few weeks ago and just praying for the gifts for each other, which I wanna encourage you to do. And they prayed prophecy, I believe, over him. Would you, Lord, we just ask for the gift of prophecy for Austin in obedience to this command here. And uh, the next day, he was dropping his daughter off at school, and he saw a guy with a Carbock t-shirt on. Carbock is a brewery here in town. And he just had the word owner pop right into his head out of nowhere. Owner. And he's like, okay. And so he kind of went, he dropped his daughter off and then went to kind of, he was like, hey, whoa, where'd that, he kind of disappeared, like where's Waldo sort of thing. And he, he asked the teacher or something, hey, do you know where that guy with the Carbock t-shirt went? And, and Lauren, his wife, was like, shh, he's going to seem like a stalker. You don't even know that guy. And so, and so but he, he, he went back out of the hall and then saw the guy and he ran over and they started talking. And turns out the guy, he said, do you, um, so Carbock, do you work Carbock? He goes, yeah, I own it. I own Carbock. I knew that, you know, he didn't, I don't think Austin said that, but, and so they started talking, and there's more there, because Austin is starting a distillery, and uh, there was just a, a huge business connection and some other things that happened there. Austin never would have, I mean, it just, it would have turned out differently, but if anything, even if it had turned out the same, because Austin saw the Kaubach t-shirt and wanted to talk to him, just that encouragement, like, okay, I never would have known that, and turns out that's true. That's something that he couldn't have known, that he heard, that he tested and that the Lord seemed to speak to encourage him. Um, so that's, that's some edification of the believer. There's so many more examples. I don't have time. Um, the conviction of the unbeliever. Again, Paul makes this transition in verse 20 through the end of what Nathaniel read through verse 25. What is he doing or saying? It's a tough passage. It is a tough passage. I'm not going to un- unpack it all. But he seems to be saying that although the gifts are for the body of believers as such, as we minister to one another through them, Unbelievers can come to faith by seeing God at work among us. But God is, I think Paul said it in our liturgy and in our worshiping this morning before I came up, God is here. God is among us. Um, and we had a church, a Presbyterian church that was charismatic in the Carolinas where I went to seminary that operated in obedience to God's commands here. And they had on their bulletin sort of in the, um, as an asterisk on the bottom Hey, the elders are here. Uh, they're in the back. If you ever feel like you have a word from the Lord and you feel like it needs to be spoken to the, to the body, to the congregation during this worship gathering, bring it, take it through one of them. Let it be evaluated. At the proper time, they might bring it before the congregation or maybe they will allow you to say it. So it was done in order. And there was just a sense through that gifting and through other giftings that God was, through the singing through the preaching, through the body, receiving things from the Lord, giving them up, letting them be evaluated and tested, taking them back to the scriptures. There was just more of a heightened sense. This is a sanctuary. It's a holy place. God is with his body, speaking through his body, equipping believers, and yes, convicting unbelievers to put them on their face, to go, God is here. What must I do? Um, I'll never forget that. And I want that this to be that kind of place, and I think a lot of ways it is, I think learning to walk in this is going to increase that, and that is one of my prayers. So this can happen in a corporate setting on a Sunday, but not just. It shouldn't stay here because what? This isn't church. You're the church, and you, we want to get a sign made that says entering the mission field, 
that's at the exit. You are now entering the mission field. We saw it at a church and thought, that's so cool, we gotta do that. You're the church in the world that's scattered out throughout the world. This is your launching pad into the world that God has placed you in with your neighbors and your coworkers and other relationships that you have throughout the week. So this sort of thing, we learn to do it together here and we go out into the world to continue to operate in our gifts so that people might come to know Christ and be built up in Christ. Um, we gather to scatter. I, I want to see prophecy teams. Uh, I think some people call this treasure hunting at the Galleria Mall. Not now, don't worry. We're not going to go do that next week. Justin and I might, but, <laughs> and Nathaniel, but hey, it's going to take some time. We're going we're gonna to work it out in our parish families where we're tr- there's trust, there's accountability, there's safety. It's a small group. We're going to eventually learn how to work it out here on Sundays, eventually take it out, take some risks, see God work in the world as we do this together. So let me share one, one example of um, how this, op- this, this can operate on a, uh, an unbeliever. While preaching in the hall, On one occasion, Charles Spurgeon said, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, there is a man sitting there. I just pointed at John. I'm not, I'm, (laughs) don't worry, John, this isn't you. Um, Unless you're a cobbler, um, which I know you're not. There's a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sabbath morning. He took nine pence and there were four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. Said this from the pulpit. A city missionary doing his rounds later encountered this man reading a Spurgeon pamphlet and talked to him about it, and the man told him, "Uh, at first I was afraid to go. He said that exact thing happened. Every detail was true, and how he knew that I should not know, except maybe that God told him. Then he went on to say, at first I was afraid to go near him again, lest he should tell the people more about me. (laughs) But afterwards I went, and the Lord met with me, listened to this, friends, and saved my soul. If that's not what the gifts are for, I don't know what they are for. Isn't that beautiful? Um, I, I have some bit here on a historical litany of how the exception, not the rule, and the times of darkness and lethargy, lethargy in the church are when prophecy is not operating. Okay, But I'm not going to go through it. I'm talking Presbyterian, Reformed, Reformation stuff. It's not just the crazies. It's the church fathers. It's the apostolic church. It's it's the fastest growing church today. We're, we're the exception, okay? So I'm not gonna go there just for the sake of time. They're for unity. The gifts are for unity, like I've been saying, not division. Um, think about tongues. Pentecost was the reverse of Babel. In Genesis 11, Babel was where God came down and saw that if man continued, to, everyone spoke the same language on earth, and if man continued to build what he was doing in opposition to God, he would be, he would be farther and farther and farther away from God and farther away from life and blessing. And so what did God do? That's where we get the word babble, you babble about today. He came and he gave them all different languages. So once you all speak a different language with no interpreter, your project's done. You can't, so it stopped. And they scattered over the face of the earth. Pentecost, after Jesus ascends and gives gifts to men, he pours out the gift of tongues of different languages, known languages, but that his, his apostles and disciples never could have known. 120 people get the gift of the Holy Spirit and start speaking and preaching, here it is, the gospel, the written truths of Scripture and the truth of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. They start preaching this in languages that are human, but they never could have known. And the Jews from all over the Mediterranean rim that speak these languages are starting to hear them in their own, the gospel in their own language. 
What's another thing the gifts do? They glorify Christ. They spotlight Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to spotlight Jesus, his person, and his work. And so um, Pentecost was the opposite of Babel. It was God saying, through the death and the resurrection and the reign of Jesus Christ, I am bringing humanity together again through Jesus Christ. All of us from different stages, different countries, different languages, different socioeconomic classes, and the more we grow, the more and the more and the more that will be the case. The one thing that we have in common, the one thing that unifies us is Jesus Christ. And he makes us a family through his shed blood and torn body. Um, And Paul just says, look, tongues don't help believers as much in a corporate setting especially and they can actually do damage to unbelievers who come in and hear people babbling and then head out. Um, prophecy is the opposite on both counts. It can convict and encourage the believer, and it can bring the unbeliever to repentance and faith. Man, if you're an, a believer, an unbeliever, and you walk in and somebody reads your mail, and, and, and they're like, I don't know how, and they're like, how did you know this? And like, well, the, I feel like the Lord showed me or gave me an impression or told me this, and I just wanted to offer it to you. It, man, just like, just like um, Spurgeon did. Man, that is, that is huge, um, that God cares about you. He knows you. He knows the depths of your heart. He wants you to come to him in Christ. He's beckoning you. So this should always be the, our aim in prophesying or practicing a gift with, um, any unbe- with any unbeliever. So what if we read their mail? And we're not in charge of them coming to Christ, but so what if we read their mail and tell them something God's told us if they don't come to know Christ? if they aren't saved. It's a loss. Now, again, is God the one in charge of that? Are we simply called to be faithful? Absolutely. But we should always be seeking to exercise the gifts to build each other up, to become, to walk into the mature manhood in Christ and to see people saved and set free and come to Christ. That's the win. That's what we want to be praying for and pressing into. Um, and as I close up, and then just a few brief application points, um, 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25, Paul says, but if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Um, Gordon Fee, he picks up on this phrase, the secrets of this unbeliever's heart are disclosed through through the gift of prophecy. He says, the Genesis account of the fall suggests that one of its first effects on humanity is their great sense of need to hide from the living God. Did you hear that? The se- we all have secrets in our heart. Things that we don't want anyone to know. Things that, honestly, we don't want to investigate ourselves too much, so we push them down. And we certainly don't want, if there is a God, we want to keep them from him too. Okay? And we think that nobody knows, and we're just going to stuff it and think that's a good way to do it. We all have those things. And certainly, if we're dead in our sins and trespasses, this is the, this is the unnatural, standard human condition until we're born again in Christ Jesus. We hide from God. We have secrets He says it's the folly of our sinfulness that allows us to think we can hide these things from God. Thus, one sure sign of the presence of God in the believing community is this deep plowing work of the Holy Spirit, whereby through prophetic revelation, the secrets of the heart are laid bare. You know that Jesus Christ, he, before he became a man, he, nobody created him. He is God. He was with his father from all eternity past. You can't imagine it. You try to, and it blow, it'll just kind of blow your synapses, but He's the only uncreated being. He's always been in perfect love with the Father. And part of what that means is perfect knowledge, perfect transparency, no hiding. No hiding. Okay? When he came down here, 
eventually going to the cross, he, he took on, he became divided from the Father by becoming your sin and mine and anyone who looks to him to be saved. He took on all that which keeps us from God and which causes us to hide from each other and from the living God who made us and who loves us. He felt that and he embodied that. He was separated from God. He was hidden from God. The wrath of God was poured out on him. All the dread and ickiness and darkness that you feel when you are walking away from God and living in sin, he became that. He, he was truly obscured, hidden from men, of someone from whom my, men hide their faces and from God. Why? So that we who, were, who had secret sins in our hearts, so that we who hide from each other in our shame and hide from the living God could be set free. He became that and nailed it to a cross and went into the ground and buried it. And when he rose, he rose a new type of person. And faith connects us to that. He paid that price. He was shamed so that we can walk in total transparency. Even as we continue to sin, knowing that the Christian life is about continual repentance, because what? It's been paid for. I'm free. I'm free. There's no more hiding necessary. He was alienated so we could be reconciled. So Paul talks in this last verse about how what's the response of the unbeliever going to be when they see prophecy happening? They fall on their faces. And that's just a picture of worship. It's a picture of what we are made for. Again, I said last week, we worship, we're idol factories, John Calvin said. We are going to worship something. And so running from the living God, we create things. We run after we create things to worship, and we run after everything that is not God. You are a worshiper. You are worshiping something. If you're worshiping anything but God, it just brings slavery. It just brings slavery. But this says prophecy brings us back to God. It writes us such that we go, God is a speaking God. He has spoken to me in Christ, and look at that cross. Look how much he loves me. Look at what he did for me. And it just aligns us once again to where we fall on our faces in worship and just say, this is what I'm made for. I just, I receive. I say yes to you. I believe on Christ. And that's, a, that's just something that happens over and over and over again, being brought back to the cross, back to the resurrection, back to the ascension, back to the gospel. He did it. He stood in my place. I receive. Because of the sake of time, I'm not going to, gosh, there's, there's a few application points. How, point three, how should we approach the gift of prophecy in particular? Let me just, like a, like a, like a uh, when you skip rocks, like a rock on water, boom, 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 a few things. And then I'm going to close this and we're going to break bread together. How should we approach the gift of prophecy in particular, but these, these gifts and the gifts zealously? Zealously. I think I've already made my point there. But when Paul talks about, he says in verse 1, what, pursue love? And then he hitches that, doesn't he? He's, already, he's been talking about love and his encomium to love in chapter 13. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts together. As hard as you should go after love, go after spiritual gifts in the same way. Zealously is the word he used in the Greek. Pursue, by the way, is this, it's a violent word. Pursue love, it's the same word that Paul uses in, uh, excuse me, he, he uses it elsewhere in similar ways, but that's used in um, Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes when Jesus is starting out the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, blessed are they who are, what, persecuted, for righteousness sake. That word persecuted in the Greek is the same word Paul uses here. It's to hunt something down. So to passively 
you know, feel okay about people. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying love should be us, run, we should run after love and hunt, hunt people down to do good to them. And how better can we do good to people than to tell them about Jesus Christ, to wash their feet, to, offer, to bring them into the life that we have in Christ Jesus, okay? Um, so he hitches that to pursue love, run after it hard, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And it's all throughout this chapter, all throughout this chapter. I won't take time. Thought, so zealously, secondly, thoughtfully, thoughtfully. I'm not gonna spend much time at all here on this, but there's so much good stuff here on how he's encouraging us to thoughtfully pursue uh, prophecy. What do I wanna say here? Um, look in verse 20. Paul enjoins the Corinthian church and us through them to be mature in our thinking. This word means complete or perfect. So don't be babies in your thinking, your knowledge, or your understanding. Rather, be perfect or complete. And one of the ways we are called to do this is through pursuing the gifts. Um, the, the greatest command is to love God with all of your mind is one of the things, okay? To love God with all of our mind is what he calls us to. There, there ought not to be a divide between thinking, rationale, reason, and faith. God, all truth is God's truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am that he wants us to use our minds, okay, but to submit them to him in his word, okay? Obedience is the soul of knowledge, okay? And lastly, lovingly, again, I'm just gonna co-opt what I just said earlier and just say, he, he in every way says, we ought to do these things pursuing love, loving one another. The gifts are for not you, but the body and for the unbeliever, that the unbeliever might fall on his face and say, God is among you, what must I, what must I do to be saved? Like the cobbler did, like the cobbler did. Um, let me close with this bit of application. One commentator, there are, of course, many questions we might still ask in this matter, but it may prove more constructive to look at a passage from one of the mighty prophets of the Old Testament as a way into the nature, content, and impact of the gift of prophecy. In Isaiah 50, four through six, we read, listen to these words, the Lord God gave, has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him that is weary. Morning by morning, he wakens. He wakens my ear to those who are taught. And he's, he goes on to say two comments. The way of life through which God inspires a person with the gift of prophecy is clearly delineated in this passage from Isaiah. The daily discipline of spending time with God in order to listen to him and to hear his word is fundamental to any authentic prophetic gift. Don't think you can operate in the gifts if you're not spending time getting to know this God who speaks, okay? As Justin said in his sermon a couple weeks ago, the gifts issue from intimacy with the Father. Morning by morning, he tunes my ear to hear him, spending time in his word, spending time listening alone with him and together. Um, and then lastly, he says, the latter part of the passage stresses the need for both, and I didn't read that part, an open heart and a thick skin, open to God and impervious to opposition. It's clear from all sides that those who genuinely receive a prophetic gift need great courage and resilience in bringing it faithfully to the church. There may be hostility, even rejection, okay? But it's worth it. It's worth it, and it's what God calls us to. So some suggestions on how to pursue prophecy. Be silent, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. It's a command. Not utter passivity, but meditation, quieting our heart on a regular basis before God and his word and listening. Listening ought to be a, as big of a part of prayer as talking to God, okay? In this world of noise, 
Screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis has great things to say about how Satan will try to keep us going, 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 loud, 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 distracted, distracted, distracted. Carve out time and space together, alone, to be silent, to be quiet. Be patient, um, be patient, and I'm not going to go into that. Be confident and be persistent. Ask and keep asking like a child. And then that's make time and space ourselves, with others, with our parish families, and soon here in the Sunday gathering for this. We'll walk into it together. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this word. I, it's your word, and, you don't, and, and Satan doesn't want it proclaimed, but there were just special reminders of that this morning. As we had sort of all sort of things going bonkers. And so it's just a perverse encouragement that, Lord, you want us as a body to walk in these, not scary things, these gifts that you, Jesus, died for. Help us to do that. Help us to do it in love. Help us to do it so that we might be built up, so that people might come to know you, and so that we might uh, attain to a mature manhood in Jesus Christ, so that he might get the glory, so that people might be saved. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.